In Deuteronomy 15, we have the year of release, the poor and the Hebrew slaves, and the consecration of the firstborn. Here now the reading of God's holy word in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 1. At the end of every seven years, thou shalt make a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lendeth aught unto his neighbor shall release it. He shall not exact it of his neighbor or of his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner thou mayest exact it again, but that which is thine with thy brother, thine hand shall release. Save when there shall be no poor among you. For the Lord shall greatly bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it. Only if thou carefully hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all these commandments which I command thee this day. For the Lord thy God blesseth thee as he promised thee, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, but thou shalt not borrow. And thou shalt reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over thee. If there be among you a poor man of one of thy brethren within any of thy gates in thy land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not harden thine heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother, but thou shalt open thine hand wide unto him, and shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not. And he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works." and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. For the poor shall never cease out of the land. Therefore I command thee, saying, Thou shalt open thine hand wide unto thy brother, to thy poor, and to thy needy in thy land. And if thy brother, an Hebrew man, or an Hebrew woman, be sold unto thee, and serve thee six years, then in the seventh year, Thou shalt let him go free from thee. And when thou lendest or sendest him out free from thee, thou shalt not let him go away empty. Thou shalt furnish him liberally out of thy flock, and out of thy floor, and out of thy winepress, of that wherewith the Lord thy God hath blessed thee, thou shalt give unto him. And thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. And the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Therefore I command thee this thing today. And it shall be, if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee in thine house, because he is well with thee, then thou shalt take an awl, and thrust it through his ear unto the door, and he shall be thy servant forever." And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. It shall not seem hard unto thee when thou sendest him away free from thee, for he hath been worth a double hired servant to thee in serving thee six years. 
and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all that thou doest. All the firstling males that come of thy herd and of thy flock, thou shalt sanctify unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt do no work with the firstling of thy bullock, nor shear the firstling of thy sheep. Thou shalt eat it before the Lord thy God year by year in the place which the Lord shall choose, thou and thy household. And if there be any blemish therein, as if it be lame or blind, or have any ill blemish, thou shalt not sacrifice it unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt eat it within thy gates. The unclean and the clean person shall eat it alike, as the roebuck and as the heart. Only thou shalt not eat the blood thereof, Thou shalt pour it upon the ground as water. And thus far the reading of God's holy word from Deuteronomy chapter 15, a passage filled with instruction for us, though some not directly applicable. Verses 1 through 11, we have the Sabbath of years. The Sabbath of days is a natural ordinance built into creation by God's very workmanship and resting But this Sabbath reminded the Israelites that they were to keep the natural Sabbath by means of this ceremony. This ceremony also shadowed forth and typified the redemption that we have in Christ and the release of debts. Forgive us our debts, we pray. Why? Because we are debtors to God because of our sin and Christ, our great Sabbath, he died so that we would be released from those debts. So here it is prophetical in that sense. Verse 1, at the end of every seven years, thou shalt make a release. Again, augmenting the fourth commandment, giving them extra details for their specific, unique political circumstances for their state. Verse 2, every creditor that lendeth aught unto his neighbor shall release. Now, neighbor in this context is not the neighbor who then is my neighbor of the parable of the Good Samaritan which is all men everywhere is your neighbor. Whoever you come in contact with, no matter where they are, once you're in contact with them, they become your neighbor. That's not what this is. Here, this is a fellow citizen, not a fellow man, but a fellow citizen. This is a political law, not a moral law. The moral law requires that you do good to all men, especially to them in the household of faith. The political law of Israel said you may only have your fellow neighbor for this amount of time. You'll make this release of debts. He says, verse 2, he shall not exact it of his neighbor. This word exact is that of a taskmaster driving an animal forward or oppressing a human, pressing or driving him on. Give me my stuff, pay me back. That's the idea of exacting something of his neighbor. They could not tyrannize over their fellow citizens in Israel. But notice verse 3. Of a foreigner thou mayest exact, he says. So on the one hand, your fellow citizen, you can't exact it. On the other hand, of a foreigner, you may exact the debt. Notice here, this is why we know this is not a moral law. Can you murder your, your fellow citizen? No. Can you murder your foreigner? No. You can't do murder in either case because it's a moral law that applies in all circumstances to every one of your neighbors. This is not a moral law. You can exact of a foreigner, but not of the home-born. Notice, 
thine hand shall release, he says there in the verse 3, of your brother. Let it go. Don't hold tight to your claim you have against them. Release it. Let it be. Let it go. Forgive him his debt. Let it loose. Let it fall. And here, notice brother again being one not of their near tribe, as of the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Benjamin, but their brother refers to trace your lineage all the way back to Israel. And then you have the 12 tribes. They were brothers. Anyone within that nation state, in other words, anyone even grafted into that nation state who had the rights of a brother, they could not be used in this way. I note then this doctrine that the law of Moses contains laws that are of what we call particular equity, unique to that state, to that people. Now, these are also, in most instances, also prophetic laws, foreshadowing the gospel, giving us types and historic institutions that prepare us for the coming of the release that we have in Jesus Christ, where God doesn't hold his claim as our creditor against us, and we pray that he won't. This is what we call the gospel, the good news. Let us then, as we read the Old Testament, distinguish those things that differ. There is moral law in Moses, and then there are some laws made as an extension of the moral law. Can we get rid of those laws? Of course not. We'd have to get rid of our being human to get rid of those laws. Then there are some made as an extension of their unique circumstances at that place in that time before Christ has come, and we cannot observe those laws without bringing ourselves under the bondage of the Old Testament. So we must distinguish those things that differ. (coughs) Now, notice God promises prosperity to such an extent that he would eradicate poverty among them, or at least in the case of the poor man, that you don't take his raiment to pledge, you don't take away the upper millstone that he grinds his wheat with, then he won't be able to eat, and you're the creditor, you lent him money and said, I want your millstone. No, because that's his life. That's how he makes his living. You can't take the tools of his trade. But God says, at this point, your brother, you can release the debt. You must, in fact, release the debt as God has released your debt. He says that you will be blessed in this way, verse 5, only what? If thou carefully hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all these commandments which I command thee this day. Notice, if we would like to eradicate poverty, do we do that by instituting a system of socialism where we say, you rich people, the government's going to confiscate your goods and that's how we'll get rid of poverty. That's man's notion. By theft, we will promote the good of mankind. What is God's notion? By carefully hearkening unto the voice of the Lord thy God, then you can eradicate poverty. Then there will be no poor among you. Is that how we seek to solve poverty in our day? No. We try to disobey God to eradicate poverty when God says, listen carefully, to all that I say. I note then this doctrine. There is no such thing as a secular patriot. If someone is a patriot, one who loves his country and seeks its interests above his own, he must be a godly man. 
He must listen carefully to the voice of the Lord thy God. That's the Bible. Anyone who attacks the Bible, anyone who refuses to submit to the Bible, is an enemy of his neighbor. Would you then be a good citizen of Virginia or of these United States, once United States? Be holy unto the Lord thy God, and you will be a good citizen of this world and of that to come. Notice verse 6. If they meet these conditions, then he says he would bless them as he promised thee, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, but thou shalt not borrow, and thou shalt reign over many nations, but they shall not reign over thee. What is it then to borrow from other nations? Did you notice? It's to give them reign over you, to make them your masters. When you are indebted to other nations, as we are the United States, who then pulls the strings of our government? Well, it's the people to whom we lend, isn't it? We do their bidding. They play the tune and we dance to their music. Lending is reigning. It is having dominion. It is ruling. And therefore, he says, you should be in control of them, not them of you. But again, that's contingent. Will you hearken to the voice of the Lord your God? Notice then verse 7. If there be among you a poor man, he says, you're not to harden your heart, nor shut thine hand from thy poor brother. Mortify the inner man, the hardening of the heart, and then the actions will follow. God requires our inner man and our external man to agree in submitting ourselves to his will. Thou shalt surely lend him sufficient for his need in that which he wanteth, verse 8 tells us. Now, these are things that are necessary. That's what the word need means. It means he can't do without them. Does he need Nike sneakers? Does he need all of his drink that he wants? Alcohol and these sorts of things? No. Food, water, raiment, shelter. Does he need those things? Yes, without them he will die. So lend him for his need, not for his greed. Thine eye, he says in verse 9, be evil against thy poor brother and thou givest him not. You see him and say, I'm not going to help him in his need. He is poor by his own fault. And that may be true, but we must assume the best, not have an evil eye, he says, against your brother. Because God has made a promise. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, he says. And then he says that God will give you in return. God will pay you back if you lend to your poor brother. Thou shalt surely give him, he says, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him. Verse 10 says, what does it mean, thine heart shall not be grieved? So you could have grieved on this hand, and you could have happy on this hand, or cheerful. And then in the middle, you could have neither cheerful nor grieved. But the Bible uses this figure of speech a lot. Thine heart shall not be grieved actually means what? You shall do it cheerfully. You shall give cheerfully. Why is that? Because God loveth what? A cheerful giver. When you give to the poor 
as they did in the New Testament. The Corinthians had pledged to give to those poor brethren in Jerusalem and Judea, and they did so cheerfully at the first, and then they said, yeah, but that's going to cost us something, and they decided they put it off. They put it off. They put it off, and they never did it. And so Paul has to write to them and say, Now give. You had the desire to do it. Now there must be the giving, and you must do it cheerfully. Verse 10, For this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. God will reward you. God will pay you back. God will care for you. Not because you deserve it, but because he has mercifully promised to do so. Let us then be careful to remember the poor, to assist those who are in need, to seek to do good unto all men, but especially to the household of faith, as we'll see from Galatians 6. Verses 12 through 18, we have the release of Hebrew slaves and a right a legal right which prophesies concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice thy brother, verse 12, in Hebrew man or in Hebrew woman. This word brother, of course, doesn't refer to the literal family. It's the figure of the nation. And also notice it includes male and female. Very interesting there. A Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman. Then he says, in the seventh year thou shalt let him go free from thee. Six years labor one year release. Why? God tells us, they're my slaves that I redeemed out of Egypt, therefore you can't keep them in perpetuity. It's a unique law to their circumstances, another political law. And when they left, you had to give them freely out of your flock, floor, and winepress, your grains, your wine, and your flocks. As God has dealt liberally with you, So you shall do to your brethren, he says, who are my slaves. You treat them well, he says. Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. God has shown you grace, and you therefore should use grace to your brethren. Now, notice he wants to stay this slave. You're ready to release him on the sixth year, and he says, No, I love my life here. I want to stay. What should you do? You take an all. You punch a hole through his ear on the doorpost of the house and you identify him as a permanent servant. Now, this might seem a little odd. Why is it would we puncture his ear to demonstrate his permanent servitude? Often it was through this that they implanted earrings, which would identify you're in subservience. You're under authority, in other words. You are under a master an adon. You are owned by someone else, in other words. Now again, as God in his wisdom ordained this for the state and political people, he also ordained it as a prophecy concerning his son. Psalm 40 verse 6 says, sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire, mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. So the psalmist there in the person of Christ says, God opened his ear. He bored a hole through his ear. When this is quoted in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, 
It says, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. What's the difference there? You opened my ear versus you prepared me a body. Christ, through his body, sanctified us by offering it once for all as a servant. He humbled himself by taking upon him the form of a servant, also called a body, and he became obedient, perpetually a slave forever, in order to redeem us from our bondage. That is the typology of the Bible. God can give them a literal law, a statute concerning slaves of the Hebrew descent and their desire to be a permanent slave and can say, hereby in this institution I preach the gospel to you. There will be a servant who will humble himself of the Hebrew people and he will release you from your slavery. I note then, that the Mosaic law contains prophecies and types built into those laws, built into the histories, built into the institution of the scriptures. You might ask yourself, wait a second. God said he would draw or call his son out of Egypt. Didn't he already do that at the Exodus? Yes. Why does it then tell me that that's what it meant in Hosea when he said, I will call my son out of Egypt? In Matthew, he says that applies to Christ. How is that? Didn't it already happen? But this is the nature of biblical types. God, by calling his son Israel out of Egypt, said, one day there is coming a redeemer and mediator that I will call out of Egypt, just as I called you. And you who are the true Israel united to him by faith will be called out of Israel yourselves. Let us then read the Old Testament with a sober awareness of types and prophecies embedded within the pages of the Old Testament. Verses 9 through, or excuse me, 19 through 23, we have the consecration of the firstborn of their cattle. Notice verse 19. Thou shalt do no work with the firstling of thy bullock, nor shear the firstling of thy sheep. What, pray tell, does this have to do with the sabbatical year, the year of release, the six years of labor of a Hebrew servant, and the releasing in the seventh? What is the relationship? Well, there is one. When something is holy unto God, can you use it for your own advantage? Can you say, this holy animal I devote to you, Lord, and by the way, I want to shear this sheep as well. You know, I'm going to devote this bullock to God, but I want to go work with it in my field. Could you do that? No, you could not. Why? Because when God says something is devoted or holy unto him, you may not use it for your own purposes. You'll recall from our study on the fourth commandment in the Shorter Catechism, we looked at Isaiah 58. And there the Lord says, get your foot off of my Sabbath. Keep your foot from pressing it down. And then he says what? You should take delight in the Lord. Not doing your own works, not thinking your own thoughts, not saying your own speech, not doing your own pleasure, but rather take delight in me, the Lord your God. Why? Why is that, Lord? Because it's a holy day. And you don't use a holy day for your purposes to benefit yourself 
You use a holy day for the glory of God to seek his pleasure. So God says, if you devote this cattle to me, don't use it for your advantage. Use it for the glory of God. Come before me, he says, year by year as I command you. All males three times in the year appear before me and there you shall eat it. And thus far the explanation of Deuteronomy chapter 15.